0: Amen, how great thou art. Let's begin in prayer before we look into the scriptures. God, thank you for how great you are. Father, the world cannot contain you. We can enjoy your beauty as we look to a starlit night. And yet, God, that doesn't even address the beginning of your eternal existence. Father, thank you for your greatness. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for Calvary that moves us and shows us your just unimaginable, unfathomable, deep love. God, may we walk away with a greater appreciation of who you are by looking at the scriptures tonight. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me, please, in opening to Judges chapter 2. I want to spend most of our time, though, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Philippians 3.17, which I'll have that verse on the, on the screen. Parenting, impacting our children for eternity. How can we impact our kids for eternity? Not just for the temporal moment. Paul Tripp in his parenting series said, there, there are a few things in life that would rise to the level of importance of being God's chosen instruments to be part of the forming of a soul of a human being than parenting. And What is this thing called parenting? What is parenting? What is is a family? Uh, What is a job description of the family? You know, if we don't get it right as to what a family is, we'll never get it right as to what parenting is. And I want to, just as a matter of introduction, before we get to Deuteronomy 6, um, look at Judges 2 for a moment. Judges 2, 6 to 15. The children of Israel have crossed over into the promised land. They have fought the battles recorded in the book of Joshua. Um, the people, it says in verse 7, served the Lord all of the days of Joshua and the elders. Look at verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all of the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Just That verse is rather ominous and you move forward then to verse 10 and we're absolutely amazed what verse 10 says. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. And we read that and we try to understand that the first generation in the promised land to grow up in it, didn't know the Lord. Um, they didn't know about their parents' experience firsthand and all that their parents had gone through. The 10 powerful plagues, and you look at water turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, um, all of these incredible miracles, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and the last one, the firstborn death to all of the, those that did not have blood on the doorpost, They didn't know about that. Or then you get to the Red Sea, and they walk through the Red Sea, and into the wilderness. And God provided for them in the wilderness. After 40 years of wandering. And then you step into the promised land. And you have the incredible miracle of Jericho. And then the battles. The sun standing still. They, they didn't know of that. Now understand when they refer to their parents. It would be 20 and under. But some of those children and even teens, 20 and under, walk through the Red Sea. They experienced the 10 planks previously. They experienced all that I just mentioned. And yet it says they did not know the Lord. When we think of the children of Israel not knowing the Lord, it's pretty shocking because it's the commandments of God. It's the word of God. It's all the works of God that he had done. Why didn't the parents embed them in their children's hearts? Why didn't they teach them that? Why didn't they go over that with them? Why didn't they understand it? And look what happened from their lack of knowing what God done, did for them. It turns out to be an absolute mess. Because you get to verse 11. And the people of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and serve um, the Baal, serve Baal. So here you have the, these individuals. They didn't know about God. Their parents hadn't trained their hearts, hadn't shared with them God's great works, hadn't emblazoned on their hearts who God was and what he had done for them. And it says that they didn't know God and so they started to serve Baal. The first generation in the promised land. If we are not shaping our children in the things of God, if we are not showing our children the works that God has done in our lives and telling them the stories of the Bible and making them come alive, if we're not personally burning into their hearts the greatness of God, then what are they going to be shaped by? They will be shaped by our culture. They will be shaped by our world. They'll be shaped by all those around them. They will not have a biblical worldview. Instead, they will have a secular worldview. And this parents that came out of the promised land, that outlived Joshua, they failed to give their children a biblical worldview. You know, our culture, you know, our teens are buying the idols of the culture around them. They're buying into this. They're, under, they're accepting it. They're, they're getting what they think is important, their hopes, their dreams. They're getting all of this from our culture. Um, they're learning their priorities from what the world around them tells them is their priorities, what is important to them, everything which is not based on a biblical worldview. So I look at Judges 2. What, what questions should we ask in Judges 2 before we step in our Deuteronomy 6 text? Shouldn't we ask, how did this happen? I mean, how did it happen that the children in verse 10 says they did not know the Lord or his works? How did they get to that point? Did the leadership fail? Maybe they did. Um, Did the judges fail to administer justice righteously? Maybe to some degree they did. Did the prophets give false prophecies? Uh, We don't see any examples of that. Did the priests stumble in their role as mediators? For the people and instructors of God's law, as Leviticus 10 says, maybe. But you know who failed? You know who failed? The parents failed. The parents failed to teach their children. The reason the, par- the kids didn't know was has to fall squarely on the parents. And we see that in Deuteronomy 6 as you turn there with me. Deuteronomy 6 Tells the parents, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to teach your children to have a great reverence for God. Parents have the responsibility to make sure our children understand how big God is, how great God is, the works that God has done. And the children of Israel fail to do that. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. Let me just skim read through that quickly. Now, this is a commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons. And that you's got to be connected to the you in verse 5. And your son's son, by keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. Let me just skip verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I want to challenge us tonight as parents in three areas. Three areas. First area is to be the right person. In this passage, he's instructing the parents: you're to do this, you're to love God with all of your heart. You're to put it, you're to place it in your heart, you're to love him with all of your mind and soul. And might diligently. And you place it on your heart. So he's challenging the parents. That they are to love God passionately. They are to become the right person first. So he addresses the parents. This is who you should be before me. How many of you parents would. If we had you up here. That you would hit the buzzer to these questions. That you would say. I'm hoping that my child grows up to be rebellious. Would that be your desire? Um, or you say, I hope that they're apathetic towards the things of God. Or I hope that they have a lot of idols in their lives, things that are more precious than God. Or, or we want to say such foolish things. In fact, we desire the exact opposite, right? We want that for our kids. We don't want that. But we have to ask, what, what are they learning from our lives? You know, we don't want them to become this, but what are they learning as they look at our lives, as they look at our examples, as they look at the people that we are? Moses, via, through God, instructed the children of Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And then you, you shall place these on your heart, and then you're in a position to teach. But he first goes after the parent. Without turning there, but Philippians 3, verse 17. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says to them, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have. So Paul says, and it's a question I want to ask us as parents, can we say it? He says to the church at Philippi, just imitate me. Mimic me. See, these parents in Deuteronomy had a responsibility to get themselves in line with God so their children would be able to imitate them, that they would learn from their children. Paul says, Brothers, imit, imitate me, mimic me. Is that something we could say to our children? Just, just imitate us, mimic me, whatever you see me doing. Years ago, on my second trip to Israel, Lynn and I went, um, it was in 2005. And um, we went without a tour group. We just flew over there we 'd rented a car, had reservations everywhere, knew where we were going and For the most part, it was um, rather simple to navigate. This is before GPS, but we found ourselves in Jericho on this one day and We found our way to the historic site of Jericho, and without having a GPS, now we're trying to get out of Jericho. We saw it, enjoyed the ruins up top, Uh, we were able to go to the bottom, which we weren't able to do this time, and walking around the stones and the ruins. Now we want to get out of Jericho, and for the life of me, I cannot get out, because I want to go towards Jerusalem, I didn't want to go north, and so we're trying to navigate I get to one exit point. It's Palestinian control. I'm a little bit nervous um, in this area. And I ask people, um, is this the way to Jerusalem? Like, no, no, no. So we go another way. We ask another person. They try to give us directions. We just can't get out. After 20 minutes, um, I know it's going to surprise you. I'm getting a little frustrated. Um, I can't get my way out of here. And I ask a person and he says, follow that truck. It's going to Jerusalem. In five minutes we were out of Jericho, we were on the road to Jerusalem. You see, it's a lot easier, instead of telling someone what to do, to follow them. And that's what Paul tells the church, imitate me, follow my example, follow what I'm doing and you're going to become what God wants you to become. And the question that we have to ask is, are we able to say that to our children? Follow me, imitate me. Just do what I'm doing in my passion, my heart, and you're going to line up perfectly for God. I mean, we say that humbly. We're not being arrogant. If the children, if your children did that, what would they be most excited about? Would they be most excited when your team beat your arch rival? Would they be excited because, all right, Dad, our team beat those hated um, rivals of ours. Or would they be most excited because, a soul is coming to Christ. That's your, your passion. Will they imitate you in the area of spending, how you spend your free time? That, that if you, Do you invest in the lives of other people? Are you continually involved in Bible study, involved in prayer, text messages, phone calls, reaching out to other people, having people over, being hospitable, spending your time about others? Or will they see a parent that is just selfishly following their own dreams and desires? If they imitated you, would they see your financial generosity towards God's work? And we ought to call our children in. Hey, Sweet, I just want you to know, this is what mommy and daddy make in a week, but this is what we're giving to God in our tithe. This portion belongs to him. It's out of joy that we're part of God's work. This is a missionary that we're also supporting. You know, would they see your generosity? Or would they see a parent investing more in temporal things? To buy a bigger TV, to buy a nicer car, to buy more clothes, to save for that dream vacation. We can't quite give as much to God because we're going to be going to Spain next summer. Whatever your exotic place is that you want to go. Well, they see a loving parent that's a little bit late leaving church on Sunday. Because they're listening to the struggles of an individual after small group. And they see their parent in the corner of the church perhaps praying with this individual or they see a parent that's anxious to get home because it's almost kickoff time, or you know they want to relax and do whatever they're going to do around the house. Paul concludes these words, according to the example you have in us, example, a model, a pattern. This is one of the places that we stopped in Israel. Actually, it was in Jordan, and this lady is making this this object out of um, all of these stones here. There are this long strips, and she's cutting them with this. There's no pattern here. And she has all these different color tiles and making this creation. Just amazed me. And I went up to the owner, and I said to him, you know what you ought to do? You ought to get a a pattern and put it on. And then sell people that tool with the long strips, but so they could do the rest, but have the pattern. He looked at me and says, actually, I'm going to start doing that next year. I don't know if I'll be be buying one, but you see, it's a lot easier if you have a pattern and you're able to cut down just the right size of stone and fit it onto that versus to go free free will on that. A pattern, a model, something that's made. You know, if the individuals back in Philippians, if they're imitating Paul, you look in chapter three later, they're going to know him. They're going to have a desire to know Christ. He says, I want to know him. I want to be victorious over sin. And then it's going to talk about in verse 12, where he's following Christ. Then 13 to 14, I'm forgetting everything and I'm pressing towards, and that goal was Christ likeness. So everything about Paul, if they imitated him, is going to be about 100% giving all. They're all into Christ. So as we turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, are we that kind of a parent? Are we working on ourselves? Or are we trying to be the right parent? Are we trying to be that parent, as it says in verse 5, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might? Great parenting begins with a great relationship to God. We're not going to be able to be a great parent. We will not be a great parent. We're going to have problems with people if we're not right vertically first with God. So, become great before God, knowing God, great in your relationship with Him, and God will richly bless you. As I quoted in the the game questions, Jesus quoted in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, when asked, What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your soul. This is the greatest commandment. Love Him with every aspect of your being. The extent of God's love is to be total. It's all, it's everything. Every aspect, they are to love God with all that they have. True or false? If you love God with all of your being, you will not have idols. True. Because there's no room. It's a total love. God, you're number one in my life. And it's on my heart, it's burned on my heart. I'm going to first become right before you, and now I'm going to position and impact my children for God. Threefold repetition. All, all, all. We love God completely, and then we will be positioned to be the right person before God. Look also in verse 6. Not only were they um, to have God in their heart, mind, mind, and soul, but they were to diligently. Bird and place them on their heart. I mean, it was to be complete. We're, we're working on this, placing them in our heart. We're, we want to anxiously instruct. We want to anxiously place these on our heart. So now we're ready to teach our children as we're sitting, as we're walking, as we're rising. But God, first I'm going to work on my heart. You see, we as parents got to get into the word of God first ourselves before we can direct our children and how they're to live and how they're to act. As we get into the Word of God and we allow the Word of God to get into us, now we're positioning ourselves. Talking to um, one young lady that was here early, she's waiting for D Group. Why do you get involved in D Group? Uh, why do my guys get involved in D Group? Uh, why do couples get involved in the Walkers D Group? Part of it is we want to be accountable before one another. That we're doing what we're doing. It's it's not just a bunch of rules. I can check this, I'm doing this. But we want to be accountable to one another to push us towards the kingdom. To be what God wants us to be. And that's admitting, hey, I want to be the right person. But I need you in my life to help me become the right person. So God tells the nation of Israel, calls them to rightness. Secondly, that I see in this passage... Not only being the right person, but we need to teach our children to revere God. You see, yes, we're to be the right person, but they were, the children of Israel, were to teach their children to fear God. It says it three times in this passage in Deuteronomy 6. Fear, fear, fear. They They were to teach them about God. See, when you are being the right person, your faith will impact every area of your life. You get your relationship right with God. It's going to impact your relationship with your spouse. It's going to impact your relationship with your children. It's going to impact your relationship with your neighbor. Everything will fall on the line. But I need to be right first before God. Get that right. And now I'm ready to listen to God's word. Listen to God's voice speaking to me. So when you think of this, okay, I want to help my children revere God. I want to help my children to to grow a great view of God. I want I want to help my children to just fall in love with God. Where, where do you begin? Where do you begin? This is a novel idea. You ready? How about begin where God begins? In the beginning, God created. Just just go through the scriptures and just look. Even in Genesis. Chapter 1 is chock full of descriptions about God and how great God and how beautiful God is and how awesome God is, how God is all powerful. But in the beginning, God, help your children fall in love with the greatness of God. This is what the children of Israel were to do because it said, remind them that I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they forgot that. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will not hide them for their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We are to continually remind our children the preciousness of God, who he is, what he's done in scripture, and what he's done in our lives. Growing a big view of God. You know, going recently on this trip to Israel, just exploded everywhere everywhere. The greatness of God and who God is and what he has done and it just kept popping. I have a couple slides. We'll save most of them for the 30th. But just reminding you as we talk about, I want to revere God. I want to remind myself of how great God is and who is this God. This place was awesome. Um, We stepped into Caesarea and this is, this says in in, in, um, print there, Paul gave his appeal to Caesar. So here is Paul standing, I'm sorry, standing before Herod Agrippa. But you know who Herod Agrippa was? He was the grandson, some says the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Do you know what his grandfather tried to do? Tried to kill Jesus. Try to stop the gospel. So as I stood there, I was moved by this awesome place. Because here... God in his greatness did not allow the gospel to be stopped. It continued to trumpet forth. In fact, Paul would get on that port on those waters and go across and declare the gospel to Rome. Or I think of Elijah here on Mount Carmel. And as we're standing at this site, and here is this great prophet of God on Mount Carmel, challenging the 450 prophets and taking them on. God would declare his greatness by that incredible miracle of how awesome God is. This one night... I was having my devotions, and we're actually right on the Sea of Galilee, and then we were suffering for Jesus, and I looked across, that's Tiberias. You know, Tiberias is mentioned in the scriptures. If I were to um, show you, the three cursed cities would actually be right over here, and I didn't get it in this picture, but as I'm looking, my heart leaped for joy and in praising God, because Tiberias, the city that was never cursed, is alive with activity of over 30,000 people, But the cities that were cursed, Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida, all cursed. They were in absolute darkness. So like the word of God and just the power was screaming to me in that dark evening. What an awesome God that we serve. That God brings alive the scriptures and the story. We need to tell those stories to our children. This is how awesome God is. This is what he said. Here are some pictures of what he's done. One of my favorite places, Cursey. Took a, you take a boat ride, Christ took a boat ride across, that's the Gadarenes. The Sea of Galilee, we went by bus, and just being on this place and making our way up to what they believe is the area of the Gadarenes, the demonic possessed man in Luke chapter 8, Mark 5. Jesus was on a mission and went across the sea to rescue him. And I just, I didn't really have a lot of time. It was at the end of the day, we were on a fast visit at Kersey. But previously, I've enjoyed just standing there in 2005 with Lynn and just adoring an awesome God that we have that came to rescue a demonic-possessed man. Or I think of the fields of Bethlehem. Um, we stopped and see the shepherd's cave, and I got alone for a couple minutes and just was thinking of that glorious evening, that announcement, "Front to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And thinking, God, it, it happened right here. The angelic announcement, the shepherds running into the city of Be- town of Bethlehem. God, what an awesome God you are! That you came because you cared for me. Pool of Beth- Bethesda. You know, Christ normally went. I should say, people normally came to Christ for healing, but the story of John five just screams out the compassion of Christ because he came to this pool of Bethesda to rescue a man that was paralyzed. But what's moving about that is you're just 100 yards away from the temple. They're told to pray at the temple. That's where the man should have been praying. Oh, God, please heal me. Not in some trump superstition at some pool of Bethesda, but that's where he was, but Jesus went to him. You see, that's our God. That's a God that we need to keep falling in love with. What an awesome God. Then... How can you conclude the awesomeness of God without the garden tomb? Whether this is really where Christ was, but it was a sin, a, rep, a representation. So teach our children to revere God. Teach them to, to look at God and see how awesome God is. See, the family is the institution that God has ordained that's to download spiritual truth to their children. It's the family that is... Gifted by God to be the educational training community for their children. You know, I, I praise the Lord for our church. We thank God for, for our church family, the messages we hear. Thank the Lord for for the Lardies and the youth ministry, for small groups, for different men's groups, ladies' groups that we have. They're all a blessing. But you ready for this? They're secondary. The parents, you're to train. Don't, don't go to Pastor the Lord man. You're not doing a good job looking at my kid. Away. No, no, you're to train your kid. We assist. We're to be that primary training parents, but I'm looking across at the sweet role that many of us have as grandparents. May we take that role of impacting our children for God and our grandchildren for God. Years ago, When I lived on Long Island, we lived on church property and we bought a little pop-up tin trailer. Um, We opted not to go to the beach with four daughters. I just wanted to skip the beach scene. So we head to the mountains and we began um, a time of falling deeply in love with hiking and mountains. And we would go every other summer for over 12 years. We went some six times out to Colorado, Montana, hiking, uh, doing various trails. But just, just... Looking at the majesty of God. And I was always choose a theme verse. Usually in the Psalms. And then I put afterwards a collage of pictures together. You go to my basement. You'll see six of those all around the room. With the verse engraved in wood in the bottom. Of just focusing on God. I wanted purposely. We were intentional. That this trip I want to burn in our girls hearts. The greatness of God. And help them to just fall in love with with him. And a song that we always sang. He's everything to me. This one time, we were at Zion National Park. We were in Watchman nee Campground, which is um, right on the border. And we're in Zion National Park. We put the girls to bed. I stepped outside of our little pop-up tent trailer, and I saw the stars. It was just awesome. It was like I could reach out and almost touch the stars. It was just lit up and so bright. So I went back in one at a time and just carried the little ones in my arms. And we went to the middle of the field. And they're lying in my arms looking straight up. And we just talked about God and his greatness and his might. Of how great our God is to stick those stars all up in the heavens so far away. Just keep impressing, burning on our children's hearts the greatness of God. Many times, we, I, we um, fail as parents. You know, when you can't go back, the little ones are gone, um, but by God's grace, you still, when they're big ones, you get to impress them and grandchildren. But the busyness of life, um, busyness of schedules, uh, mom, laundry, cleaning, work, feeding, caring for a whining husband, um, dads working around the house, Um, after work all the chores just seem sometimes to steal our attention but may we be so focused to train to teach our children as it says in verse verse 7 you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise when we keep striving to burn in their hearts how great God is one of the things that I've enjoyed with um, when we go to to Michigan with our older grandchildren, driving them to school. I'll talk to Josiah and Catherine, and this year it'll be Christine. Three of them. I'll be driving when we go out there. Um, but we'll often talk about, and Josiah and Catherine are familiar with the phrase, "Let's let's grow a big view of God this morning." Um, so I'll tell them a Bible story. Sometimes it'll be you know somewhat fictional, but but factual. Um, driving, in fact, tell them a story of, of um, just God's greatness using biblical characters and how it might have played out. But I want them to see this is how great our God is. This is how big our God is. You see, because if we could have a view that God's all-powerful, God's holy, God's everywhere present, God's compassionate, God's gracious, if they could keep seeing these attributes of God, then when it comes to situations in their life, they'll be equipped Hey, I remember the stories that i have been brought up on how great God is. I I can handle this situation because my God is able to handle it. That's just Bible stories. And so we tell those stories. So Joanna, um, our daughter in Michigan, is going through the Psalms. And a couple times I've been able to connect and FaceTime and do devotions. And our first devotions when we were in Psalm 1 a couple weeks back, I read someone, we talked through it, and Catherine said, hey, Papa, that reminds me of Jeremiah 17, verse 8, and she quoted it, one of the verses that she's learned in school. Uh, But it's so sweet to see the connection, and we talked about that. Well, yeah, when you're living for God, then you're going to be like a tree planted by the waters. God will just be pleased with you and bless you. Mm. Moving on, in Deuteronomy 6, I mentioned the word fear is used three times. It's used... um, in verse, um, sorry, verse. Where are you? Verse twelve, verse twenty-four, and I'm skipping, I'm missing it. Oh, verse, um, verse three, or verse two. Keeps ingraining fear, fear, fear. Teach your children. You first of all fear God. Teach your children to fear God. What does fear mean? Yes, it means to be in all of God. Yes, it means to have a great view of God, to have reverence of God. But also it does mean to fear, to understand that he is so holy, so big, so awesome, so great, so, so um, powerful in all that he does that I, I, I don't want to disappoint him. I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to offend him. But also blending in reverence in all of God. That we have such a respect and compassion. And this is what the children of Israel were to do. It says in verses 20 to 24. When your sons ask you in time to come. What is the meaning of the testimony and statues? It says in 21. And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all the household. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Three times bring, brought, bring. This is what God did for us. And then the result of that in verse 4, teach them the statutes to fear the Lord. This is how great our God is. Now we need to fear him. We need to have a reverence for him. We need to have an awe of him. fearing God is becoming intensely aware of his moral purity and omnipotence so that we are in such a position. I am afraid to disappoint such a great holy, pure, or powerful loving, gracious, sweet God. I don't want to do that. But they were to keep reminding them of how great God is and all that he's done. They were not to forget the works of God on their behalf. We won't turn there, but Job 1-1 gives us the results of a man that that feared God. Um, He was blameless and upright. If we teach our children to revere God, if we teach our children to have a big view of God, if we impress on our children's hearts his holiness, his purity, his awesomeness, if if we train them to yearn to obey him, to yearn to follow him, if they will then value God, they will value the preciousness of others. They will understand that they're not just to be fans, but they're to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they will be all in. If we are right before God, we then be in a position to impact our children to be right for God. And by God's grace, they will listen to us. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Not a Fan, tells the story of a man approaching him at the end of one of his speech, speaking sessions. And this man came up to him and says, I want to tell you the story of a prodigal daughter. My, my daughter that's a prodigal daughter. How she went to college and turned her back completely on the faith. With one sentence, he put it on what he thought had happened. And Eidelman would say, I was refreshed that he wasn't blaming other people and what he said was so insightful. We raised her in church but we did not raise her in Christ. We raised her in church, but not in Christ. They taught her to look right on the outside, but didn't teach her to look right on the inside. They taught her to keep all of the rules, but never really taught her how to have a relationship with God. They taught, taught her to, to be a fan of Jesus, but not to be a follower of Jesus. May we passionately lead our children and developing a sweet relationship with Jesus as we are striving for the same right person, revere God. My last point I want to challenge is speaking to dads. As we close, dads, we must be the spiritual leaders of our families. Appreciate uh, Brother Brayson last week and how he was hitting this point, bringing Dave up and illustrating that. May we as dads be the leaders. May we as dads be the men that God wants us to be. You know, parenting is is far more than providing clothes, providing a warm house, providing, um, taking care of our common needs, driving our kids to sports events, driving them to music lessons. It's far more than that. Uh, God is called the Christ-following parent to take a deeper, more eternal task. And dads, we cannot be on the sidelines. We cannot delegate that to moms or to our wives. The husband, the father is to be the head of the home. He's to rise up. He's to put away those foolish video games and be a man, take responsibility, not pursuing a hobby, relaxing. It's gonna be tiring. You're not gonna be able to do what you want to do selfishly. But do what God wants you to do gloriously as we impact our children for God. You know, we can't have a task like it says, all right, we're going to designate spiritual growth time right after dinner. Okay, spiritual growth time, it's happening. All right, close our devotion book because we're done. We are to have a designated time, but it's to happen continually. Take opportunities as we walk with our children, as we talk with them, to show them everything about God everywhere. You know, as you say as dads as we teach our children look at look at the trees this is a different kind of tree than this over here or look at the bark how it's falling off here I have no idea what the reason why the bark falls off but I'm sure some of you do but look at look at the plants and the beauty of the shrubs and how God has just made this or look at the human skin or look at you show him your leg as I fell in Petra and now it's already healing up, you know. And how, how God allows you to heal so, so quickly. Not so well with my hip, but that's coming along. Um, you know, and we, we, or look at the human hair. You know, some hair, sorry Dennis, um, but some hair is straight. Some is curly. You know, some is stiff. You know, and then look at just the different colors of hair that we have. Um, just look at all the texture. Look, listen to the human voice. My daughter Kara and Lynn are at the same and Kara picks up Lynn's phone when I called her. I have no idea that it's Kara talking. I'm thinking I'm talking to Lynn. That could be trouble. Um, But just the human voice and inflection, the variety of how God made us. Show, dad, show your children. Talk about God how great, how amazing God is as we sit and we walk and we rise throughout the day. How well are we doing, Dads. When we were in Israel, I talked to this man for a moment. I should say I tried to. Um, I was fascinated by the hats and was trying to find the customs as we were at the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. And I went to him, up to him and he didn't speak English. Um, but I found someone that did. And two men, they explained to me as I walked with them. Um, they said, well, it's, we're Hasidic Jews and our custom is really, the hats are shown where we came from. From Russia, Ukraine, or Poland. And it's a symbol of that, and they don't wear them every day, which is pretty hot. But um, I talked to another man that was actually from New York, and to see his son there. Um, and just watching parents there in the Western Wall just teaching their children, or with their, my heart ached, because we know Yeshua, we know the truth, we know what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And yet the question is, how are we doing dads? How are we doing in our training? How are we doing in our teaching? Are we impacting people, our children for God? May we be the right person because then we're in a position to impact our children right for God, for them to be the right person to revere God. May we teach children that are all in for the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you for Yeshua. We thank you for Jesus Christ, God the Son, that came to give us shalom, to give us peace, peace with you. God, I pray for the moms and dads in this room. May we accept our holy calling. And even when we become empty nesters, God, may we not kick up our feet, and think our job's done because our children still need us. But now we're not the instructors in their lives. We're not even the coach, but we're their friend on the sidelines giving them counsel when asked. And God, I pray that we'll impact our grandchildren for you so that we could see a generation continue to be raised and grow that loves you with all of their heart, mind, and soul for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.